Anyway, my name's Dan, um, and uh, yeah, this is the third part of our series looking at Ruth. And, and today we're looking at the third theme, which is marriage. I can only assume that I've been selected to talk about marriage because I am so happily married. Um, Ruth, who uh, is that's the name of my wife as well, um, she's in Croatia this morning, so I can say with confidence that she is also happily married. Um, anyway, so today we are looking um, at marriage. The weird thing is, though, that we're looking at this book of Ruth, and then we're saying, what can we learn about marriage? The problem is that they are just worlds apart, the, the idea of marriage that we find in Ruth and, and the marriage kind of culture that we have today. It's a little bit like um, rocking up to a recital of one of Mozart's symphonies and then talking to the person next to you all about how Adele writes her songs. It's like, isn't Adele great? It's a little bit like Mozart. They're not. They belong to different times. They are both very good. They're both leading musicians of their eras, but they are nothing alike. And it's a little bit like looking at marriage and saying, let's read the book of Ruth and and look at what we can learn about how to have a happy marriage. The problem is we're just centuries apart. We're cultures apart. We have different identities, different needs. And so if we we look to to Ruth and try to, uh, to recreate the marriage system that we find there, I think it's going to end badly for us. So, instead I'm going to talk about what it is I want to talk about. Um, That's not actually true. (laughs) Instead I want to give you a very short, and this is going to be very short, a very short history of marriage, because I I think that explaining a few things will help um, with this context. Because it is very different to to the context that we have today. Broadly speaking, um, Hebrew marriage really was centred around three things a contract, consummation, and celebration, and it was in that order. We, we kind of have similar things now, perhaps not the contract so much, although we do sometimes, um, but it's more about the celebration and consummation. They're the, they're the things that, we, uh, that, that are central to our, our marriage system today. I'm, I keep cutting out. Is that something that I'm doing, Rich? Uh, actually, it's not, because I'm not doing anything. Anyway, the first thing, the contract... Um, this, is, this was the first thing that... Um, oh, Rich wasn't even at the desk. Just to... Oh, we're back. There we go. So the first thing um, that was central to Hebrew marriage was the contract. This was the ketubah. That's the, the Hebrew word. And the ketubah was basically, a, yeah, this contract that was drawn up between the families. Um, remember, this is an agrarian culture. It's all about um, security. It's about your bloodline. It's about property. And so you drew up this contract to work out how much money was going to be exchanged. There's the dowry. Um, There was also um, the bride price, which was um, part of the dowry. It was the money that you would need to pay if a divorce happened. So there were all of these sums of money um, to to be agreed. How much of the dowry was going to be paid before the marriage, how much was going to be paid in in increments, maybe perhaps after the first child, all those things. So there's this big contract. Importantly to notice, the contract was basically drawn up between the fathers, because they were the head of the house, and the groom, who was, who was going to inherit one of the houses and become perhaps one of the, the masters. Not so much the bride. The bride didn't really have a look in. At this point, she's, she's not even particularly relevant. <laughs> she's kind of just exchanged. Um, so there we go. There's the contract. The second thing is consummation. And this could happen up to seven years after the agreement um, was struck, the contract was signed. 
um, I didn't say that once the contract was signed, that was it. You were kind of locked in. The deal had been done. And if you wanted to break off then, you'd have to go through the divorce procedure. Anyway, so the consummation would, take up, um, would happen up to seven years after. So the deal was done, but then you had to save up for your dowry, okay? Um, and then it was... And then, this is weird, okay? The consummation, um, you would... Um, You'd, you'd go into the chapa, which was a little room, and it could be next to the people celebrating. Okay, so you've got all your, your, your party going on, and then you go into the next room, and that's where you'd consummate your marriage. That's awkward, is it not? And then, and then you'd come out, the, the bride would come out, and to show that she was a virgin, she would hand this rather bloodied piece of cloth to a witness, and then everyone would go, hooray! That is, I'm so glad we've moved on from that. Um, the closest I've come, I, I went to a, a friend's, um, I probably shouldn't say, I will, I will leave names out. I went to a wedding and, um, and it got to, you know there's that lull after you, you've had your dinner, the, the wedding breakfast, and then there's, you, you can't, you're basically just waiting for the evening buffet to come out. Um, and people who dance do a little bit of that, but I'm not a big dancer. So, so I just find people to talk to. And I ended up having a conversation with um, the parents of the bride. And then the bride came over, and we were having this conversation. And then, um, and then the groom, he came over, and he was, he was kind of standing there a bit agitated, kind of, kind of in the conversation, but not really entering in. And, he was, and I was thinking, what's wrong with him? He, you know, he needs to chill out. It's his wedding day. And then he was stood there for about two minutes. And then <laughs> there, was, there were five of us, and he went... Um, he said, Esther, um, is the name of his new wife. <laughs> and uh, he said, he said, uh, sh should we, uh, it's getting late, should we, sh uh, and we were in this hotel, that's where the, the, <laughs> the reception was, he said, should we, it's getting late, should we um, go upstairs? And it was just like, and at that point, the conversation ended, and it was just like, find something to say. It was just so awkward. I was thinking, the evening buffet isn't out yet. It is not, it is not getting late. Anyway, that's as awkward a wedding as I've been to. So the consummation, pretty awkward. But it was this, it was the moment that, that um, yeah, these two came together. And it could happen a long time after that contract, the initial contract was signed. And then, only after that, you would celebrate as a community. So once the, once the deal had been done, and once you'd come together almost publicly you would then have this celebration. And then the last thing I want to really quickly tell you about is divorce, because this, is, um, this was written into to Hebrew law. This is really important. Um, divorce, all of, all of the, the, dow, the, um, the dowry and the bride price, it was basically insurance against divorce. It was trying to prevent divorce. It used to be that people would divorce for any reason, but um, written into the law, it said you can't, you can't do that. You can only, be, only separate if the, if the relationship's broken. But if you, celebrate, if you um, separate, then these, you have to pay these sums. So it's written into the law, this kind of contract, this, a way of, of keeping this unity together. Um, and, and when... Um, uh, now, this is, this is really, this just backwards, back in the day. Um, women were seen kind of as, as property, they were exchanged. They were exchanged for some cows and some gold and various other things for the dowry. Um, but it was kind of the exchange of property. So there was this, this get. Get was this, this divorce contract. That was the, the, work, the name for it. 
and it get, was handed to the wife or, or the, the now divorced wife. And it basically said, you're single. You're out of this contract. You're, you can enter into another relationship. But because it was, she was considered to be almost treated like property, this, this um, certificate restored her to, so that she wasn't trapped in that old relationship and she could, she could find another relationship and security. So that's, that's the system that um, we're reading about in Ruth, okay? That's a little bit of context. And I want to really very quickly tell you a little bit about our context. And we, we talk about modern marriage, but in truth, we're talking about Western, we're talking about middle-class marriage, which, <laughs> which if, if, you, if you go and look at different marriage systems, even in our own country, now with globalization and, and different cultures moving into and living around us, there are so many different models of marriage. And I think to stand up and say, you should do marriage our way, the way the Bible teaches, well, firstly, we've discovered that we don't do the way marriage the way the Bible teaches. But if we say to people, you should do marriage our way, I think it's really ignorant and it's dangerous and it's, it's, it's abusive of different cultures and, and values that they have. But very quickly, how have we got to where we, where we are today? Um, Jerome, he was a third century um, uh, theologian and he was a bit, he's, he's a, bit of a grumpy, grumpy guy. Um, Paul, in 1 Corinthians, he says that it's good not to touch a woman. Thank you, Paul, very wise. Um, we scrubbed that bit out. Um, and Jerome said, ah, oh, yes, um, if Paul says it's good not to touch a woman, it must be bad to touch a woman, right? And so, and this is, this is coming from, um, the, the, the idea is that, that marriage has always been a civil thing. It's not about religion. It's not about Christianity. It was always something else. And actually, in early Christian teachings, there was this idea that you should remain celibate because we're waiting. We're waiting for Jesus to return. Okay, that was, that was some of the teaching. But, and, and Jerome says, oh yes, you shouldn't, he kind of cements this idea. He says, you shouldn't even touch a woman. But Augustine comes hot on his heels and he says, actually, actually, I think marriage could be quite good because it's good for procreation and it's a secure unit. So, so Augustine kind of um, leads the way a bit. And then Christians start getting married in churches. It used to be, have you heard, it's better to, be, it's better to marry than to burn with lust. Right, and so, so all the, uh, have you heard that? A little bit of a response, yes, no, maybe, some of you, it says it, it says it in the Bible, it's a good thing. So if you're burning with lust, get married. And it used to be that people would come to um, a bishop and they'd say, I'm burning with lust. And the bishop would say, all right, okay, you can get married. But, it, but the Christians used to go to the bishop and say, I know this isn't ideal, I, I wish I could not get married, but I'm burning up here. So that's what they did. But Augustine kind of um, loosened things up a bit, and all of a sudden, marriage was looked upon a bit in, in, uh, it, more positively. It wasn't quite as good as remaining celibate, but it was okay. Very quickly, Pope Alexander III said a brilliant thing. He said, marriage is, is free, and it's, it's a mutual consent, which is fantastic. So all of a sudden, you don't need lots of legal systems and papers to go through. He says it's all about mutual and free agreement. But then what very quickly happened was there were guys who had free and mutual agreements with lots of women. Um, and and like, she agrees, and I have 12 wives. But then, um, then they, had to be, they had to start working out who was the first wife, and, and it, it caused this huge problem. So very soon after Alexander III, Pope Alexander III, um, 
died. There was uh, this council of Verona, and they said, right, we're going to have to sort this mess out. We need to bring in some law. This is when marriage became a sacrament. And they, they said, right, this is a complete mess. In order to sort this out, we're going to bring some legal systems in place. So then, all of a sudden, this is when we start to get Christian marriage, okay, as a, 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 and a system for that. The Council of Trent, which was in the 17th century, is when... Um, what happened at the Council of Trent? That is when the church, first of all, for the first time said, actually, marriage is no worse than remaining single. So marriage gets a bit of a promotion at the Council of Trent. Very quickly moving on, Victorian um, romanticism. We know what happened there. Um, romanticism followed the indu- industrial period, industrialization, and people began to look at relationships differently. They began to pursue this romantic idea. And for the first time, people were courting for, for romance and aesthetic and relationships and all of those, I mean, romantic relationships. But this is very different from um, bloodline and security and property. This is, this is a massive shift. And then rushing forward a few, a uh, couple of hundred years, Tinder is where we are at now. Now, rather than courting, rather than writing to families and seeing if you, you can... Um, you're okay to, to wed. We have Tinder. Um, I'm slightly out of my depth here, you'll be pleased to know. Um, Ruth will be pleased to know. Um, I think you swipe through and you say yes or no. <laughs> I'm looking out for someone. Who says yes? Where are they? Um, uh-huh, uh-huh, that's exactly how you do it. But it's, it's kind of shop, isn't it? It's you flick through and you shop. We find people, and based on an image or based on some headlines, we go, yeah, this is the kind of person that I like. And we're in the, into this kind of consumer thing where we, we consume relationships. We find one that we think can fit with us. And that's a, it's, we've gone a, a very long way from, from these origins. And then um, recently I was listening to the radio, um, and uh, there was a guy who's, who's the, um, the editor of Country Life. And they said, we're going to be speaking with um, the editor of Country Life later. And um, he's going to be talking about marriage. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. Why is the editor of Country Life talking about marriage? And he, he basically said that marriage has gone too far. We've, we've become far too extravagant. And I was thinking maybe he's talking about, um, about the effects that it has on, on the countryside and how it takes so long for the countryside to um, regenerate after these weddings have kind of gone through and the gazebos have been taken down. You know, you get the dead grass and then all that. I thought maybe he's going, going somewhere with that. But he said, marriages have just got so extravagant that people are scared to enter into them or, or, or can't enter into them because we have to put on a big show. It, it, just think about some, some weddings that you, that you can think of. Just a few years ago, not, not long ago, maybe a decade or two, it was just, you'd rock up and have a little bit of a party. There might be some, some music on, on a tape. But now, weddings go on for, for weekends, and the celebrations are longer. We have live bands, we have huge feasts, and you have to feed hundreds of people. And so I've had conversations in the last couple of weeks with people who can't, they say they can't get married because they can't afford it. You can't, you can't afford to enter marriage. That, as party has nothing to do with marriage, but we've, we've pushed marriage to this point where it's all about this big party. And so that's where we are at now. It's, it's entirely different. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what on earth has any of this really got to do with, 
with Ruth. How do we reconcile those two different things? It's a bit like that picture I showed you before. We've got Adele, we've got Mozart, they're just two different things. We can't go back to this, this dowry system alongside this system that we have today of these extravagant parties. And I, and I, I'm not for a moment suggesting we do. But there are some things in the book of Ruth which I think we can, we can learn. Um, and, we, and if we're willing, we can let them challenge our idea of marriage, but also all of our relationships. I know that many of us, some of us here are married. Some of the, us are happy in that. Some of us not so happy. Some of us are not married and happy in that. Others, not so happy. Um, but so, so these, these truths, I think, can be applied to, to all of our relationships. I think that's the challenge here. So, key to, um, to understanding Ruth, there's this theme which is developed, um, or, or uh, Boaz is introduced as the kinsman redeemer, which is very odd. We've, we, we don't have kinsman redeemers um, nowadays. But there are two things going on here um, to very quickly um, tell you about. One is this redemption idea, and this is, this is central to Hebrew law um, and central to Hebrew culture. And it's, there's this verse, um, uh, it's, it's, throughout, it's throughout the law, this idea. Um, but here's a verse that explains a bit of it. It's in Leviticus 25, 25. If any of your kin falls into difficulty and sells a piece of property, then the next of kin shall come and redeem what the relative has lost. It's this, I, back in that time, Israel as a nation was considered to be the, in the ownership of God. It was God's land. But then it was split up into tribes and clans and families, and we looked after our own little bit. But in order to, to ensure that the ownership of the land remained um, with the family, and remember this is an agrarian culture, society, which means that you were absolutely dependent on the land. If you didn't have the land, you could not grow your food, you could not trade, you were destitute. Um, and in order to ensure that, that the families had their security, there's this idea of redemption. So even if you, you lose your land through destitution, one of, it's written in the law, one of your kinsmen, someone close to you, could buy the land and restore it to you. And if that failed, every 50 years there was a jubilee because, because they were so dependent on the land. So th- here's this idea. This is the first thing that Boaz does. He's this kinsman redeemer, and he restores the land to Naomi. The second thing, to quickly tell you about, is this, leveret marriage. I said that very quickly because I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, the idea here is that if, um, if, if I were married, uh, I mean, I am married, if I, um, if I sadly passed away, um, there would be a period of mourning. I, <laughs> you see, there is more, already there is mourning. Um, but then after a time of mourning, my brother Josh, who sat at the back, he would have to step up and he'd have to marry Ruth for me. Um, you have to imagine that Reuben, my son, it was, um, is not around. Oh, that would be sad. But if we had not had a son, Josh, <laughs> I probably shouldn't be using such... Um, uh, <laughs> I, I'm sorry to go there. I should, yeah, don't picture this. Josh would have to step up and do the good thing. He would have to say, Ruth, my brother's line is going to stop here. But I want to ensure that it will continue. So I shall provide you with a child. Um, 
not through adoption means. Um, and, that, and that is what this, this model of marriage is. So, so if, if you died, if, if, if the brother died, if, if a man died, his brother would step up and, and complete the marriage agreement and ensure that the, the bloodline continued. And the son or the daughter that um, Josh and Ruth had would kind of continue my, would continue my line. So my, my family would continue. And then Josh and Alice can go and have their family together. <laughs> so we've got those two, <laughs> two families. The thing is, what's, this is a little bit interesting. The thing is that this doesn't actually relate to, um, relate to the, the story of Ruth because, because her husband died and her only brother died as well. So this, this thing of marriage that, that Boaz enters into, this kinsman-redeemer role, not biblical. This is, the law did not say that, that Boaz should do, should do this. And so, the, one, the first thing that, that I think that where this challenges us, and I'll come back to this a little bit later, is there's, the law says you've got to look after um, the least. You've got to look after your community, your people. And it says, in order to do this, um, here's this, this model of marriage. Don't leave a woman destitute. Don't leave her without, without security. Um, and uh, you, you see that the, we're, we're thousands of years apart. Um, instead, so that she has that security, the brother should step up. The brother should step in and ensure that she has, has those things that, that she did have with her, her husband. But then the law seems to develop. And, and within Jewish culture now, Boaz, who's, who's the nearest kinsman, He's talking about, oh, he's not even in the nearest kinsman, is he? But Boaz steps in and says, I'm going to, to do this. This is, this is extra. This is further than the law says. But, but the law has developed in such a way that, that we're scratching away at it and we're realizing oh, the thread here is that we have, to, we have to commit to each other. We have to serve each other. We have to look out and support each other. And so what God was challenging us to do here to, to ensure that... that um, women have this security um, we, we have to ensure that that continues to develop and so they took that and applied it to the next, the next level which was the kinsman I, I challenge you that then Jesus took it a little bit further when he said love your neighbour not just your kins your kins people, your family not just those closest to you but love your neighbour so that's the first thing I'm, I'm just going to, to rush, rush through these things now because I, I know we're, we're short of time um, this is one thing I just want to draw your attention to. This is kanaf, this, this word. And this word really means refuge and security. This is a theme that, that is explored a little bit in the book of Ruth. In chapter 2 it says, May the Lord, this is Boaz, um, who's, who's talking in conversation with Ruth. He says, May the Lord reward you for um, your deeds, and may you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Wings there is this word kanaf, but we've translated it as wings. Then Ruth 3, verse 9, um, this is Boaz again. He says, um, he says who are you? This is when, when she's uncovered his, his um, feet, possibly legs, which, is, which was her basically saying, let's get it on. You know, I'm ready. I'm free. Let's enter into this marriage um, proposal agreement thing. And he says, who are you? And she said, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your cloak, again, that word, kanaf, over your servant, for you are next of kin. 
can you see that the author of this story, he's using this word, and it, the repetition is beautiful and amazing. And first of all, Boaz says, I, I pray that God will spread, will, will spread his wings um, uh, over you, his, his refuge and security. But then later on, Boaz takes that upon himself, and he says, oh, Ruth says, you do it. You do it. This is, this is not something we pray and leave to God. This is something that we take on ourselves. This is refuge and security that we extend to our neighbours and those nearest to us. And so, what can we learn from this, these, this old, old book of Ruth, which has this, this rather strange um, example of marriage? I think we can learn a few things. Um, I don't think we can learn much about the dowry system. I don't think we should go back there. I think that we are, um, we are created to be equal, and I don't think that they had um, quite, quite worked that out yet. But what we can learn is that marriage was always about security. It was always about community. It was always about belonging, and it was always about commitment. Those were the things that were central to this culture of marriage. And because those things were central, that's why this system of marriage grew up. That's why we have the dowry. That's why we have the, the price for the bride. That's why we have um, the get, the, the, the divorce certificate. And so, um, and so I think these are the things that we need to take into our relationships, um, both with each other, but also married couples. We need to... We need to commit to these things. And remember that marriage, um, today, it, it's about, it's become an isolated thing. It's about individuals. John Donne said, no man is an island. And we've gone, hmm, very wise words. Thank you, John Donne, for that. But a couple, kind of like stable floating device, possibly. We're wrong. Uh, a couple or any person requires the love and security of a, of a community. And the couple, the unit, is for the service of the community and it's for, for the, the service of each other. I want to, to leave you with um, one more challenge, really. Um, I, I think that, that marriage is really important. We, we briefly touched on, the, uh, on how far our culture has come today to the point where we consume relationships a little bit like going to the supermarket. We, we go on Tinder and all of these other apps. I'm not knocking that because, because uh, we're in a different age. But what I, what I do think is, is wrong is that we can, you can judge someone by a picture and I think that whole idea of entering into a relationship because it's good for the moment and, it, and this person seems to tick boxes is wrong. If you, want, if you want a good relationship, either in marriage or any relationship, friendship, uh, a, a relationship at work, it's about commitment, it's about service, it's about understanding the other. It's always about those things. It's always about those things. And this is why I think marriage is so important, because our values are played out in the institutions that we create and the culture that we live in. If we value relationships, if we value the service of others, if we're committed to others, if we love the other as Christ commanded us to do, then that's played out in our marriage, in, in, in the way that we, that we honour our relationships. 
And so, so a society that has marriage at, at its core as a, as a fundamental um, structure, I think, I think that same thing is replicated throughout its culture, that, that, that commitment. And very lastly, here's a challenge. Marriages um, back, in, back in the day, it was about the security and the development of a nation. It was about the security of a family. So the question is, what are we building in our relationships today? What's, what's central to us? What's, what's the most important thread in our lives? I challenge us, and I think you'd all agree, that, that as a church, as Christians, we say we want to live and walk like Christ. That's, that's the people who we want to become. We study the life of Christ so that we can imitate him, so that we can love the other. And so, if, if that's central to who we want to be, then that's exactly what we have to recreate in our relationships. That's what we have to have as the central pillar. And so, so let's talk about marriage, let's talk about friendships, let's talk about work. All of those relationships, I think it has to come back to, I'm trying to build a Christ-like community, live Christ-like. And so that, I think, is the, is the challenge of Ruth, I think. Separated by thousands of years, but the challenge remains that that we are called to serve one another. We're called to be committed to one another and to belonging to each other. So let me pray for you, and then uh, Danielle, I think, is going to come up. Father, I thank you for um, for the words of the Bible that have come to us over have lasted thousands of years and I thank you for the fun exercise that it is to look at different cultures and to see how um, all those years ago you were weaving in a different story, a story about commitment, about service to each other and Father then we look at our own culture and we realise actually in some ways we've come forward, we've, we've established truths that you created man and woman equal We've established truths that, that relationships can come in all different shapes and sizes. And yet, at the same time, it seems that we've, we've strayed from some of the things that, that perhaps are wise about commitment, about service. Sometimes we forget that we belong to a bigger community. And so, Father, my prayer is that you would challenge us all um, now, but also as we reflect on this, to consider how we can belong to our communities, how we can belong to our relationships, how we can make you central to those. So Father, this week as we, as we go about our business, may we be aware, have a heightened awareness of the way in which we, can, we conduct our relationships and who we are serving. Ultimately, we are Christ-centered, and so we offer our relationships to you in service to your kingdom. Amen.